the Talking Race podcast from the Centre for Race, Education and Decoloniality at Leeds Beckett University. Welcome to Talking Race. This is a second part of the episode where we're focusing on race and the sport media. We had so much to explore and discuss in the first episode, we had no choice but to include basically an extended episode. So in this second part, and also it's our Series 2 finale, I'll be talking to sports producer and broadcaster Leon Mann. Leon is the founder of the Black Collective of Media in Sport, otherwise known as BCOMS. Since 2009, Leon and BCOMS have worked tirelessly to highlight the lack of diversity in the sport media and help drive positive change. Leon will talk us through how he began working in the sport media, where BCOMS evolved from. He'll offer current and aspiring sports journalists some words of wisdom, and he'll also consider what the sports media will become in the future. So the statistics clearly show that there's a huge underrepresentation of black, Asian and minoritized ethnic people across the sport media. But why do you think that's the case then? I mean, I think there's um, a real lack of diversity across the media and the sports media specifically because of a system that has traditionally marginalized and excluded people who bring a different diversity. There are lots of different reasons why that still continues now, while there's a a good feeling or certainly people are saying the right things about changing the diversity of the sports media, such as the turnover is, is not high in the sports media. So a lot of people come and work in what is essentially their hobby, which has pros and cons. So people are willing to work very long hours and work incredibly hard but there's also an informality around your workplace that can be positive sometimes but also quite negative as well if people kind of are just feeling that they're there on to to, to work on their hobby and and essentially people don't leave you know people people don't leave people don't leave their roles if you're covering premier league football and traveling around the world and that's your dream you know if you get that job at 25 you're probably going to have that job until you're 55, 65. So that means the turnover is certainly an issue. So when you have newer groups from different generations with more diversity, then it becomes difficult to find places for those talented people to go. And The Athletic is a good example of where some of those people have been finding themselves, the likes of Ahmed Shubal, Karl Anker, Art de Roche, Ryan Conway, this is the new generation of sports journalists who found their way in to the to the industry and a, and a prominent publication, but a new publication, a new place where people can find jobs. So um, for me, I think there's been you know a very closed network that's been in operation. That closed network has meant that to get in, it's about who you know rather than what you know or what your skills are. That's not that different to many other industries, but with a lack of turnover and the, the, the sense of a bit of a boys club, which is reflected in the stats, it doesn't work well for people from underrepresented groups. And therefore we have to think of very deliberate ways to break up that system that's in place. And we have to ask our leaders to be very deliberate in their actions to address that. In terms of your general experience then, 
of working in this industry, which I guess has been called male, stale and pale. What has it been like for you? Yeah, it's been it's been a real interesting experience. That's largely been positive. I've had some incredible opportunities. Never felt I could really maximise many of them because of an expectation of what is good within the sports media. So who defines what good is? Who defines what is a good piece on Football Focus, for example? Who defines that? Well, it's a group of white people who sit around and go, right, well, we think this is good. And actually, as a black person coming into that environment, who are you looking up at in terms of who's your role model, who's the person to follow? Again, that makes it quite difficult in terms of finding your own true identity unless you're really strong and can fight back when you're kind of challenged. For example, you know, it was always a point of discussion what I would wear on a shoot. And I think that's less to do with probably my ethnicity and more to do with my age. But, you know, who defines what is normal to wear on a shoot? I would sometimes go to an interview in a cap. And it's kind of like, no, you can't do that. You can't wear anything on your head. That, that's disrespectful. It's this, it's that. It's like, well, hang on, it's freezing cold. <laughs> it's like the player I was interviewing had a cap on. And yeah, I was wearing a cap. And if you look at society, guess what? A lot of people are wearing caps and older people, but younger people now as well. So actually, you know, just little soft touch things like that begin to kind of have you questioning oh God, I'm, I'm being asked all the time to conform to this system, but who's made this system and who said the system's the right system? And actually from where I'm standing, I'm opposite a young person dressed similar to me at the time when I was young. So actually this confirms that maybe I'm right and maybe you're wrong and maybe where we've got this camera is in the wrong place because this is making them uncomfortable. Like I'd always say like, with an Ashley Cole, for example, I said, Look, you know, if we're ever filming with Ashley Cole, do not set the cameras up where he sat down and he's got a big light on top of him and it, it feels like an interrogation because he's not great in that situation. He feels attacked by the media. So the last thing he needs is a big spotlight on him. And uh, went to New York and did a piece where the guys who were setting it up set that situation up. That was the only way we could interview him. And we had a real frosty um, interview. Um, and I said at the end of the interview, that, was, that, was, that wasn't good. And I've kind of been around Ash a little bit. So he kind of has he knows who I am kind of thing so we arranged to shoot the next day and we did it my way and we went for a, a walk around the streets of New York and it looked fantastic and he opened up on all sorts of elements of his life just because we'd done things differently but the industry was saying no this is how you do it in this way so all those things relate back to diversity for me because this is about a diversity of experience a diversity of thought and and that one shoot that one weekend kind of almost defines my own feeling about my own career which was relatively short in front of camera because I kind of had an opportunity to do something else which was going to be more secure for my family situation but it's about there's lots of boxes in the sports media and it's kind of like if you want this opportunity you have to jump into this box and conform to the way that we do things and interestingly, what I was suggesting 10 years ago, I'm watching these programmes match the day X, I'm watching how football focus is being shot now, mm. and it's all not on the sticks, it's all done in a different way, it's all re reporters in vision, it, you know, it confirms that what I was thinking 10 years ago is actually what's happening now. And why is it happening now? It's happening now because people are seeing the success of 
diverse people online on YouTube creating content that is doing incredibly well and them going, oh, geez, that's getting millions of views. We need to go and do that. So actually, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting where people won't listen to you necessarily as someone who is bringing a different diversity to the industry, but they will see the stats and then go, we need to change. So it actually has confirmed to me as part of all of this, in terms of a strategy, it just has to be a business case all the time. Forget appealing to hearts and minds and actually asking people to respect your view. Actually, you just need to show them cold, hard facts for them to understand there's a different way of doing things. So you are the founder of BCOMS, which is the Black Collective of Media in Sports. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what this initiative and organisation is and what you've done with BCOMS over the last few years? Well, how long has it been going now? 10 years? Yeah, I think, I think we're at 12 years now, which is quite remarkable, just thinking of the journey that BCOMS has been on and where it finds itself now, because... Essentially, I started started BCOMS when I'd moved from I moved away from working for Kick It Out, where I was the media and European officer, a very grand title. Um, moved from there to the BBC, and I'd always wanted to be a sports journalist, but never saw anybody who looked like me who was relatable. Everyone who I saw had four hundred appearances at the top level of football or Olympic gold medal. So how the hell was I going to get on screen? I thought I had no chance, but. Being close to people like Darren Lewis at the Mirror and Rodney Hines at the Voice newspaper, um, I did see people who hadn't played football professionally. Um, and so that gave me an encouragement to, to give it a go. So I jumped in at 27, which is relatively late for the sports media, with no previous experience, but a really good contact book from working at Kick It Out. Diverse place to work. Going over to White City, the diversity on the tube, diversity in the area, huge. Go into the building, and it just wasn't that. There wasn't a great deal of diversity, although I have to say that changed significantly because there were brilliant people in charge of my department who really worked hard to, 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 to change that, that dynamic by giving opportunities to brilliant people who've gone on to do wonderful things. And I can name a few of them. Jessica Crichton came into our department as a young producer. Drew Christie, who works with me. I mean, there was a real range of people who came through that sports news department. Yeah. And, and there was a lack of diversity. There was a whispering culture, as I would describe it. I wouldn't like to say it was a, it was a BBC problem because it was an industry-wide issue. But w w there was something that needed to be done. And the campaigner in me, coming from Kick It Out, was all about, right, what we do is we bring people together, we kind of talk, we find something that we're going to ask for and, and, and push for. And we begin to do that as a group, because if we do it as individuals, we're going to get picked off. You're going to be the troublemaker. It's not going to it's not going to it's not going to land well. There's potential to be easily dismissed as a troublemaker. So that doesn't that doesn't work. So we came together. I quite bravely, I guess, looking back at it now, knocked on the doors of some very senior people in the industry, brought them down to where we were, which was a, a, a Caribbean bar down in um, South London. And they, they were very willing and happy to come down one by one to these sessions. And we'd have about, you know, 20, 30 people who were black or Asian, mainly black from the, um, from the sports media. And we just have a real brutally open discussion around diversity and inclusion. In fact, diversity, inclusion, equality probably weren't words we ever used in those meetings because they weren't part of the agenda or certainly the language that we were using back then. It was like, why aren't there any black people in these positions? Why aren't there any black people on screen, etc.? And I think that 
that period of time, that kind of like early moment, early journey for BCOMs was so important because it was, it was, it felt like in the sports media, the first time we really kind of concentrated the minds of these big leaders across the, the sports media. They were, they were, fit, they weren't just reading about the stats or feeling embarrassed. They were feeling the energy of the people at the brunt of the exclusion. And we were also kind of within that, although it was kind of, like less so we were kind of putting you know solutions down on the table and saying we wanted to be part of it so it made it very difficult for any of those leaders to walk away and just go well I've done that now on to the next thing because we weren't going away we were going to keep coming back asking questions keep asking why they hadn't taken us up on solutions and and begin building a relationship um, and those relationships were built move forward they turned into a lot of consultancy work for free. I think the industry's had 10 years worth of consultancy work for me for free. Um, lots of coffees and cups of tea and many colleagues kind of tell me off by telling me, Leon, you shouldn't have been doing that. You shouldn't have been going in helping them out for free. You know, they pay for consultancy in every area, every other area of the business. So why wouldn't they pay for it in that area? And I was like, well, to be honest, I didn't ask them because I was just like, I was on this wave of energy of come on let's just get this done let's move this thing forward it, it can't be this difficult is this part of the business or is this just some added on thing that's a bit difficult so it just sits in the corner and we kind of ignore it but you know slowly but surely and, and I have to emphasize the slowly bit because deeply proud of being the founder of BCOMs and proud of you know the progress in terms of putting this on the agenda in the sports media and seeing some change and seeing a young person now coming into the sports media I hope would not have the same amount of challenges they will have the same challenges sadly but they will at least have us to come to as BCOMs to say I need some help or we can build a network for them we've got a network in place but it was slow it was really really slow the the, the amount of progress and I guess that's been highlighted by the recent Black Lives Matter movement where we've seen you know a real accelerated level of urgency and action um, like I've never seen before um, and all of a sudden BCOMS now is you know getting funding from the industry after 10 years but you know equally we've only now asked the question in a forceful way of if you don't pay us we're not giving you consultancy we're not going to help you in the same way because we can't survive on volunteer hours if our industry is saying this is important and we are important as part of that so um so becomes has been on a real journey we do master classes now for young people entering the industry that's been really successful we've had a number of conferences and we hope to have another conference this year called the d word where we do some research i must stress it's not academic research in any way it's literally counting <laughs> counting yeah. the numbers of people in the in the industry but lo and behold it's become a really important piece of research because it's constantly referenced and we hope to do some more in-depth research and you know hope there's lots more coming to, to kind of help in this area to kind of concentrate minds and we've got the ear of every single sports media leader pretty much in the country so um so we can ask we can ask for stuff and we can try and make it happen and there's a willingness to do that now so for anybody listening for anybody out there you know if you care about something first thing just bring people together bring people together and and commit to a journey 
you know, don't jump off that journey when you don't get your wins after a year. It doesn't work like that. The world does not work like that. I wish it did, but you've got to keep going. And now we're in a place of authority in some ways, which seems strange to say because Becomes was an idea which was written down in a pad, and now it's you know a thing, <laughs> which is which is which is which is which is actually making some change. Let's rewind the clock, and let's look at aspiring black journalist out there who's looking to break into that industry or is let's let's even even say choosing their degree of what to do what tips would you offer somebody then in your shoes going back you know all those years ago uh what <laughs> what would you what would you kind of give what advice would you give your younger self yeah i mean i think it's it's yeah it's a good question and you know in terms of what advice i'd give myself is you know, just 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 be confident to be yourself. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing somebody within an industry feeling like they have to imitate the person who's successful to be successful. And particularly when you don't have reference points within your own identity, you know, I think that becomes harder. You know, I think for me, I think it's a good time right now, I've got to say, if you are young and black and want to be in the sports media, and I say that just because minds are very focused on, right, we've got an issue, where's the talent? How do we develop that talent to help us move forward and become a you know, more representative, better performing industry? So I think people are kind of looking consciously for, for, for black talent at the moment and, and about time too. So I think it's, it's a good time for you to be entering this industry you know, one of the things that I felt I did well was I didn't really have this buy-in to the systems that existed. So, for example, a lot of people will go into a sports media situation. Obviously, you're entry level when you join. So you'll think, if I'm the best person at this particular job that I've got right now, I will earn the right to have a step up. And it doesn't really work like that, because if you're the best broadcast assistant and your job is doing graphics and assisting the producers, you can be really, really, really good at that, but it doesn't ever give you an opportunity to show your product, your producer skills. So you need to find a place to produce. So you need to understand you're in an incredible building if you happen to be in a BBC or ITV, Sky, wherever it might be, if that's your aspiration. But you need to have somewhere to actually do the work that you want to do. So I was writing for the Voice newspaper, thanks to Rodney Hines, and that enabled me, while I was doing the jobs that I didn't really enjoy, to have somewhere to do my journalism, because that's the route I wanted to go down. So I could go to a Rio Ferdinand and get a, an interview and write it up, because the BBC would have seen me as not prepared and ready to do that. I could go to a Micah Richards, which I did. I could, you know, I, I did all these interviews and I showed them to my BBC bosses and I was like, yeah, well, you know, I just went and did this interview. Oh, maybe we could send a camera next time and we could send a reporter. I was like, well, you can send a camera. I don't know about the reporter because <laughs> I want to <laughs> do the interview. Um, yeah. But I think you need that about you to kind of be working on the things you want to do, not the things you're told to do, you know, so you're working on both. So I was working as hard as I could at the day job, but I knew that day job wasn't going to get me anywhere really. That was kind of like building up an understanding of the environment. But if I wanted to go and ask questions of the biggest sports people in, in the business, 
you know, putting the tapes in and turning them around quickly wasn't going to be the thing that got me there. So I needed to practice asking people questions. So have a side hustle is probably the best way to describe it for a younger audience, I think. Um, I would say, you know, get your side hustle going, get visible so you can show people, right, this is what I'm, I've done that job and I've done it really well and it's great to be here, but this is what I'm really about, you know. Uh, I think I think if you can do that, then you'll be in a really strong position. You know, it's absolutely vital to have a network. You know, when you look at the success of people in this industry, it's normally because of the network. Yes, it's because of the skills as well, but the network is what gets you there. If you are well networked in this industry, you will move much quicker than if you are not well networked. And that has its own problems in itself, because if we have networking situations that are built around going to the pub and drinking seven pints of beer, then that works for the person who likes to have seven pints of beer, right? The person who doesn't like to go to a pub because culturally it's not really their spot to go to, they have a different way of socialising. You know, to any young person, you know, I describe it as playing the game. And Mm -hmm. that, again, is a cultural thing where you need people around you to teach you how to play the game. And that's what BCOMS is about as well. On our Becomes Masterclasses, I speak very openly as I'm speaking now about playing the game. And that's not go for a pint with your boss, because that's the thing we need to disrupt and change. But it's actually having an understanding of the importance of networking, getting to networking things, the importance of a follow-up thank you email, and you know, presenting ideas. There's a load of people I've met in my career who are young and talented, and have said they're not getting opportunities. And I've gone, tell me about the ideas that they've told you no to. And they've gone, what ideas? And I've gone, you, you haven't been putting ideas forward. And they've gone, well, no one told me to. You know, that's, that's, that's a, that is a crying shame because that's how this industry works. And there are occasions, and there are many black and Asian people who are putting ideas forward and they're getting knocked back all the time and it's dodgy. But there are other people who are sat being the best broadcast assistant they think they can be, waiting for someone to tap them on the shoulder and say, we want to make you a presenter. And we need to give our young people the realities and those soft touch skills to help them progress these systems that are in place, while at the same time dismantling these systems that are in place to make them fairer for young people to be able to kind of rise up as a result of not having to be working to this system. What on a a rich array of advice and guidance given there including playing the game side hustles you know instilling confidence that's hugely important for for hopefully anybody listening to take on their journey and learn from and i guess the final question is always that crystal ball question which i get asked quite a lot you know through through my research what will the future hold and i'm going to ask that one to you and it's always something that i struggle answering but you know we've mentioned the d word and the conference and, and diversity in the industry. But what does the future look like then? So let's say 10 years time, will it look dramatically different to, to what it is now? Will things change? Will policies change? Will attitudes change? What can we expect? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're going through a period of disruption at the moment. So like the arrival of the athletic is an interesting one. You know, the fact that we're seeing you know, presenters change after 12 years on um, big programs like Football Focus. You know, the business side of things is leading things here because people are understanding that what we're currently offering 
is serving an audience which is getting smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes on. And the bigger opportunity that the brands are going after aggressively is with these younger audiences that are spending money, that are badgering their parents to spend money. And actually, as a result, we're seeing more dynamic content appear up online on social media, etc. So I think we're, we're in a period of the big players in the in the sports media looking and going, we want that, but we don't have the staff to deliver that. So how do we do that? And how do we look different? And how do we feel more relevant? And they're asking lots of searching questions and they're, they're going to have to change if they want that. But I think we're in a disruptive period. And I just really wish it had happened 10 years ago when I was broadcasting, because I think I, I would have really loved being part of that. But anyway, that's a separate story. But um, I do hope that, you know, areas such as disability, areas such as um, socioeconomic class, income, etc., aren't, aren't ignored. They've got to be central to what diversity is. When we talk about diversity, you know, those are the two areas that I kind of feel are kind of bottom of the list. And, and I hate the idea of any kind of hierarchy of protected characteristics. But but sadly, it feels like there is one a lot of the time. So I think we need to become better in those in those different areas. But I, I generally at this point in time, and maybe it's because I'm positioned in a place where I'm talking directly to all the the, the most senior people in the sports media. Everything they're saying to me confirms that they know they need to make significant change to ensure that their business is relevant and is, you know, not standing still. I think they recognise that where they are now is as a result of not being as progressive as they probably should have been many years ago. You know, I, I just hope that the industry really grasps the opportunity at this moment in time and says, we're really going to change things up. I am optimistic. I always try to look at the bright side. There are issues and you've you've demonstrated what those are. But looking forward, things are changing and things will change. And I think that BCOMS is going to be central in driving that change, you know, over the next 10, 12 years as well and beyond. So yeah, it's been it's been fascinating for me to to learn more and to actually speak with you so thank you very much for for joining us and for, for giving up your time and and yeah best of luck with everything an absolute pleasure and to anyone listening you know please do follow becomes on our social media channels we would love you to give us a follow we'll have lots of news that you can engage with it doesn't matter if you're black white asian you know there's something for you there that you can engage with please do get following us and yeah thank you for your support I'd just like to end by saying a final thank you once again to Leon for joining us on Talking Race. He is an inspiration, a fantastic role model, and it's people like Leon and Nelson who joined us for part one of this episode who are helping enact positive change in an industry that has been male, pale and stale for far too long. Thanks to the work of Leon and Nelson and others out there as well, things are changing. The industry is adapting and the future is looking much brighter than before. And one final thing. This is our Series 2 finale and Vinny and I would just like to end by saying a huge thank you to all of our guests who featured in this series. And also thanks to our series editor, Josh Dean. 
And we would also like to say thanks to you for listening. Thank you so much. And we really do hope that you'll join us again when we return.